Liberal Karen Wang is dropping out of the race because of comments she made on WeChat, a Chinese social media app. She tried to appeal to voters, saying she was the only Chinese candidate, and with their votes, she could beat Singh, who she referred to as of Indian descent. Wang and her party mutually agreed to part ways. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith, and I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Okay, here we go with another edition of the podcast, and with Rob Shaw. And Rob, an interesting day on the by-election front. I'm calling this by-election bedlam. We got two by-elections that I'm looking at: one federal, one provincial, and they've both been thrown for a loop here in the period of 24 hours or so. This is interesting to me. Let's start off with the federal by-election. Shall we go there first? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we got lots of、uh, developments there. It looks like, and I know when we go back to last week's podcast, you were、yeah. predicting it might be difficult for Jagmeet Singh to win this by-election、uh, in Burnaby. But I mean, Smitty, what do you make of the fact that the Liberal candidate now essentially had to resign her candidacy because of some messages that appeared to be insensitive to the Indo-Canadian community, and that maybe opens things up for Jagmeet Singh to to have a better chance at this. I'll tell you, this is wild. You've got the Liberal candidate in this by-election in Burnaby South, Karen Wang, and her campaign posted on WeChat, which is a Chinese language social media app, very popular, and encouraging、uh, encouraging the Chinese community to support her candidacy, saying that she was the only Chinese candidate in the contest, and then pointing out that Jagmeet Singh. Was of Indian heritage, as it was put in this post. Now, pretty outrageous, right, to say the least. Now, at first, they tried to spin it and just say, "Oh, this was poor phrasing,"、mm. and that they would take it down or change the wording. That lasted about a day. Then we had the resignation. She put out a statement saying she doesn't want to be a distraction, which is the、uh, the almost the、uh, <laughs> always you could always predict almost with certainty. Any time you get an, a resignation like this, it's always to prevent the distraction. Anyway, she has stepped down.、Uh, the federal Liberal Party of Canada is saying that you know this is not consistent with their values. They support her stepping down. So interesting. Uh, here we are with this by-election race underway. They can still put in another candidate, though,、mm. right? So there's still time. It's not past the deadline. Presumably, they put somebody else in there. But I don't know. What's your What's your read on that? I mean, is that 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 helps sing? It does. It's got to, right? It, you know, it's interesting in this day and age how quickly people resign. The, the news cycle is sped up to the point where you know. I, I think. Maybe not too long ago, you might they might have been able to see kind of weather this for a couple days. Maybe you just throw your hands up and say, "We'll just see how it goes with voters." But this was an instantaneous,、uh, you know,、uh, resignation. And I think for Jagmeet Singh, it's they, the NDP got to be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief there because、um, there's a lot of people wondering if he has the the mojo to、uh, to pull that riding out. Despite the fact we know the NDP is throwing everything they have at that riding. That's the future of. The leader and the party, right there, and if they can't win it, they're toast. But、uh, yeah, I think he was in tough to start with. Now, this was an, an NDP riding that became vacant when Kennedy Stewart, the previous MP, stepped down to run successfully for mayor of Vancouver. So it is an NDP seat, but not a slam dunk for the NDP by any means. Jagme or、uh, 
Kennedy Stewart in the last election won that seat by just over 500 votes, so pretty close. So it's conceivable that Singh was in tough here. He's a parachute candidate coming in from Ontario. That That's a high dive parachute jump. That's like a halo jump coming all the way from <laughs> Ontario. And I think he was in a little bit of trouble just from name recognition. A lot of people in the, uh, in the riding, in some cases, didn't even know who he was. No real connection to the riding. He has moved into the riding with his wife. And he said he's been doing a lot of these sort of meet and greets, or as he calls them, the jagmeet and greets and trying to get to know the the people in the riding. And it's crucial for him to win. If he loses this by-election, I think he's got to step down as NDP leader with less than an election, with less than a year to go to a federal election. Now, here's the, here's the weird twist on this thing, though. I think that the liberals secretly want him to win. Hmm. I, I think, I honestly do. I think He's this, the poison pill inside the NDP? Is that the... Well, yeah, because if you take a look at the federal opinion polls lately, the NDP are doing terrible. They're down like, I don't know, I think I saw a poll the other day where like 16, 17, 18% nationally, like way down from where they were in the last election. They're very far distance behind uh, the liberals and the conservatives who are running neck and neck. And I think that the liberal party under Justin Trudeau loves it. They love having the NDP flat in the polls. Uh, Singh has had his troubles. They're having trouble raising money. They've lost a whole bunch of by-elections before this one. And I think there's a lot of people in the, the Liberals, You, they would never admit this publicly, but if you gave them like a dose of truth serum or whatever, I think they would probably say, yeah, we kind of like this guy right where he is. We don't want him to, we don't want him to lose and, and leave and step down. We want him to win. We want him to win this thing. Mm. So I, I think in some ways the Liberals uh, seeing their own candidate implode like this in this by-election is... Maybe not going to break too many hearts over there. Speaking of truth serum, this is the time for you to take your victory lap from our podcast predictions last week. <laughs> Michael J. Smith, I don't know if J is your middle name or not, but we're going to go with it. One for one so far in your prediction. Sven Robinson has announced uh, his candidacy. Uh, you think he's going to make a successful comeback? There you go. Take your vic- go ahead. Take your victory lap. Well, I'll only take half a lap because I think the the, the prediction I made was that he would he would make a comeback and win. I don't know. And we he, deleted that recording, oh, so yeah, I'm just going to go with a victory for you there. I think that uh, I think uh, Sven Robinson has got a fairly decent chance to win in Burnaby, North Seymour. Burnaby is his hometown. Now, you go back to the, the, the old ring thing, as it's known, mm-hmm. when he stole that diamond ring from an auction house. A lot of people thought you know, his career would be kaput after that. I don't know. What do you think? It's 15 years ago now. Has he got a chance to come back? I, you know, and it was interesting. It dominated the coverage. It was the first round of coverage, and um, that's not a great way to start your campaign, but a lot of time has passed, and he seems to have a fair amount of cross-partisan support, you know? Like, there are some some people who were appraising his campaign from different stripes, so, you know, maybe just enough time for him to give it a go. The Lord of the Ring returns, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I don't know if the rest of your predictions are going to be correct or not, but we did go out on a wild limb yeah. and predict that the in the provincial by-election yeah. that the NDP were probably going to take the Nanaimo by-election seat. And man, we've been uh, we've been trying to track that one and and wrestling with uh, whether or not that landscape is changing in front of our eyes, especially this week with the speculation tax, Smitty. And I, oh. this is still kind of a developing story as the time we record this, but basically it appears that the government's plan for the speculation tax is to mail out letters to 3 million British Columbians in Vancouver and Greater Victoria, Kelowna, and Nanaimo saying, 
you either fill out this opt-out process and form and take 20 minutes to do it, or we assume you are a speculator and tax you at the highest maximum rate of 2%, and we're going to send you a bill, and the bill is going to be due you know, within weeks. That, I mean, I can understand logistically why the government is doing this. They don't seem to have enough data or or ability to figure out who is actually a speculator in BC. Otherwise, maybe they would have dealt with it. But it is a um, negative billing, guilty until proven innocent, as the liberals are calling it, um, not great optical maneuver in the middle of a by-election in Nanaimo, where, which is going to be one of the cities where these letters are going to start arriving at doorsteps before people go to the polls with this presumption that you are a speculator until you and your spouse and your tenant and fill out all these forms and do all this paperwork to get out of it. I don't know. Do you, do you think that's uh, going to have an impact there? I think it potentially does. And I, I was stunned at the timing of this announcement, which I first learned about in your story for The Sun, that this was being rolled out this week because Nanaimo, as you point out, is one of the cities where this speculation tax would apply. So for them to suddenly roll out this process where people are being required to opt out of the tax if they don't if they don't have to pay it, which in some some ways smacks of negative option billing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you don't have to pay the tax, you have to you have to register and opt out of the tax or else they whack you with it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't register then you end up paying for it. So to me, I just thought, wow, this is bizarre timing. Why are they rolling this out in the middle of this crucial by-election where everything is on the line? If the NDP loses this by-election, it locks the House into a tie and probably brings the government down. So, you know, you can't get much higher stakes in this. And for them to roll this out this week, I thought was weird. Now, I think there might have been uh, just detecting some a little bit of panic in the NDP ranks over this that maybe this was a mistake that this was actually rolled out this week and that the original plan was to wait until after the by-election was over mm, before they before they bring this out. It is what it is now. They've they've released it, and they just seem a little worried about it. It's a fiscal year, a, a kind of a tax thing too, right? Because this is a 2018. This is a weird... The speculation tax was weird from the yeah, start. Yeah. Coming out in a budget, no legislation, changing it three times by press release until, you know, nine or ten months later when they actually pass the bill. We have no idea how it's going to work, and here we are wrestling with the actual implementation of it. And it's it's interesting to think that this is actually the 2018 speculation tax letters that you're going to be paying retroactively for last year before the bill was even passed to make the, the tax law, before we even understood it, yeah. which is bizarre anyways. But I think the government has bungled into this thing. The timing kind of makes sense in a weird way if, you, you know, they have a March, end of March deadline as the fiscal year They've for the government. They've got to get it out and, sometime. But it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough sell, I think, for people. There will be people, and I'm sure government's eventually going to admit this, there will be people who will pay by accident. By mistake. And there's a six-year clause that they can get a refund if they realize some little old lady cuts a check for the speculation tax in her family home and doesn't realize that, well, that, that she wasn't supposed to do that. She can get the money back one day, but um, there will be people that will pay this by accident. Now, we're already hearing the pushback from the NDP that in a couple areas. One, it's very similar to Vancouver's empty homes tax, which has a 99% rate of people applying for the correct exemptions. Perhaps... Well, that all that really actually serves to do is remind Vancouver residents you're getting taxed twice on empty homes. But nonetheless, yeah. 
I guess that's one one argument the NDP are pushing. The other is that it's the same process as the homeowner's grant, yeah. which is not technically accurate in the sense that the homeowner's grant is giving you money and you, you're going to need to apply for it, essentially. It takes, what, like three clicks on a website? It's a, This is a 20-minute form with your SIN number and a declaration from your spouse and your tenant. And Oh, and by the way, if you own a home with your spouse, and many people do and co-own a home, right, you got to... You got to register twice, yeah, because it has to be both partners have to register on this thing. So I mean, it's just a pain. Now the government is saying, remember who pays this tax, right? I mean, this is the first of all, if you live in a community where the tax applies, if you live in the the home that you own, you don't pay, and if you're renting the home out, if you don't live in the home but you're renting it out for at least six months a year, you also don't pay. So the government is saying, look. This is only going to impact a very small minority of homeowners who uh, own multiple properties and they're just letting them sit empty as a yeah. store of wealth and speculator, which is kind of fair enough, right? I mean, that's their justification for this thing. But I think the, the political jeopardy for the NDP on this one is what if there's a confusion in, among the minds of some voters, let's say in Nanaimo with this by-election coming up in just a couple of weeks, if some people think that maybe they have to pay this tax, but they don't really, there's a potential for confusion mm-hmm. that people might mistakenly think they're, they're being targeted by this tax when they're not. And then there's just the aggravation factor when uh, the government tells people that if you, don't want, if you don't have to pay it, you have to register with us online to opt out of it. Like I said, this negative option billing. I think this is a gift for the liberals. The liberals are opposed to this tax. It applies in Nanaimo. They're going to dine out on this thing and just, uh, you know, say, look what the NDP is doing to you. Maybe it shifts a few votes in Nanaimo. I don't know. It's, I, it's weird timing. It's the counterpoint, I guess, to that is that we thought the speculation tax was going to be an issue in the Nanaimo mayoral race where the MLA. But Leonard, it wasn't really. Where no. Leonard Krogh was running to become mayor and the liberals had uh, were trying to push this wedge issue of the speculation tax didn't register at all. Yeah. Um, the Krogh sailed in as the most popular mayor since uh, Frank Ney, who, uh, whose name is looming large in this by-election as well. So I, I'm not sure. You know, it depends on who you talk to in Nanaimo whether speculation is an issue or not. I think one of the, the main problems that continues to hound this tax is it's not really a speculation tax. It's an empty homes tax. That's right. Come and at like the beginning, tax. yeah, or a, as the liberals have called it, a jealousy tax for people yeah. who have a second home. At the beginning, this was supposed to be about targeting speculators with the with the insinuation that this is about foreign speculators who come yeah. in to, to use our uh, real estate, uh, you know, um, sector as some sort of like lottery ticket. Yeah. But very quickly, we learned that actually two-thirds of the people paying these things are going to be British Columbians. They're the ones yes. who are going to pay this tax. Yeah. And for some people, your exemption you're going to get back isn't enough to cover the tax, depending on the value of your home. So if you're particularly wealthy, you may end up having to pay it anyways. And I think the NDP created this problem by wanting to appear to be dealing with speculation so badly that they they named something that wasn't actually handling that issue, the speculation tax, and have slowly got to the point now where they're calling it an empty homes tax. If you had yeah. called it that at the beginning, yeah. then maybe that made sense. But now we're way down this road where it's been a confusing mess that's been changed multiple times. No one's really... De- it, and it's been watered down to the point where if this had been the original version of the tax, right. 0.5% tax for British Columbians with second homes, we may it may not have been the controversy that it was. But it, it's just... Um, 
you could t- you could write a textbook on how not to introduce tax legislation. This, I think, would be chapter one on, on yeah. what not to do. It's a poor, poorly constructed and communicated tax for sure. And I think in some cases, in the minds of some voters, they just hear the word tax and NDP in the same sentence. And it might be enough for them to say, I'm voting against them in this by-election. At least the liberals hope that maybe that's the case. So unusual timing, I thought, to see that come out. What about next week? Let's look ahead to next week, Rob. We got a big meeting coming up next week on the whole saga of the Speaker, the Sergeant-at-Arms, the Clerk of the House, those two guys who were marched out of the legislature under police escort so dramatically last year. What's going on with this meeting coming up next week? Yeah, get your puke bags ready, because if this, <laughs> if this thing ends up being the vomit fest that Speaker Daryl Plekis has promised, the, the, we talked about this in previous podcasts, but basically the the Monday uh, deadline here for Daryl Plekis to self-impose deadline on his part to put up or shut up when it comes to the allegations of wrongdoing in the legislature. He has said he's going to tell MLAs a whole bunch of information about alleged wrongdoing in the building uh, and uh, essentially kind of lay out for people what's going on here. It will be hard, I think, on Monday to see exactly what's happening because the room will be covered in so much smoke generated by the NDP to try and obscure this issue. They have proven in the meetings that we've been in that they desperately do not want this subject discussed at all in in any way trying to reflect poorly on the speaker because they badly need Daryl Plekis to stay as speaker of the legislature and they are willing to go to extraordinary lengths to basically give him whatever cover he needs to get out of the mess that he's put in himself. So for anyone who's expecting answers on Monday, I predict instead that we will get the NDP saying we can't talk about this. The speaker, the honorable gentleman who is the speaker, should not say anything despite what he wants to say and they'll give him a graceful out, an emergency hatch that he can he can bail on um, without, uh, you know, uh, causing himself too much political damage for going back on his word to explain to us what the hell's going on here. Yeah, but he's also an unpredictable character, though, isn't he? He is. Daryl Plekis. I mean, he's been shown to be kind of a guy that's not really controllable in some ways. And he had that quote of the year last year, speaking of the barf bag, where he said, if the people of British Columbia, when they find out what's going on here, if they don't throw up in disgust, he will resign as the Speaker of the Legislature, which to me was quote of the year mm-hmm. in BC politics last year. So now he has said that the people deserve information. This is the People's House, the, the, the BC Legislature. They deserve to know why these officials were marched out of the House under police escort. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people, uh, give, at least give them some more information. But what can he say with the police investigation still underway? I mean, they're constantly warning. He's, he's, got, he's, got, um, he's got advisors in that office now, including Wally Opal, a former attorney general, who's probably advising him to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. you got a police investigation. You're not supposed to be opening your mouth and, and compromising a police investigation. But he's kind of heightened the expectations for this thing now, right? That people are expecting him to say something. I mean, they may all be separate issues. And because the last time he spoke, he said there was long-standing years of problems at the legislature, um, which go back, presumably, to other speakers and different governments and other members of this, uh, other MLAs. That may or may not be the actual issue. Um, It's unclear to us how his complaints about mismanagement in the building match up with 
the supposed and allegedly and completely unproven to this point allegations of supposed criminal wrongdoing by the clerk and sergeant at arms I, who have not been charged with any crime. That's but right. the words out of the Speaker's office yeah. from Wally Opal and others have been supposed alleged criminal activity. Right. I, I, it's, I, the only person who knows what's going on here is Daryl Plekis. And he has appeared both frustrated that he can't tell people he has projected an air of indifference in some ways. I, I, our colleague Dirk Meisner from Canadian Press covered his comments at the staff Christmas party in the legislature in which he he um, gave a line very similar to Alfred E. Newman's, what, me worry? You know, like he, he said to people, do I look worried about yeah. what's happening here? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. No. Uh, to give this, this suggestion of confidence in what's going on. And um, he's very hard to understand, to peg, or to to get any information out of. So, I, I honestly, but I just I keep coming back to the point that I think the NDP and to a lesser extent the Greens will give him a series of escape hatches to get out of this mess uh, and try to staple his mouth shut <laughs> and usher him out of the room and push us all back. And um, because the only reason we have this Monday deadline for answers is because Daryl Plekis. Self-imposed. Self-imposed yeah. it. Yeah. And so that's uh, what I'm going to start talking. Here. So. I'm going to start blabbing again. Um, you know what? This is a guy who talks a lot. And even though he might not be getting, he might be getting advice to shut up. We'll see if he does. One thing's for sure, there's going to be a lot of focus on this meeting. This is, this is a committee that normally gets very little attention, if any, at the legislature. But now, with the stakes so high, with these two officials marched out of the building... And so much interest. I continue to have people almost every day ask me what's going on with that, yeah. with the clerk and the sergeant at arms. Uh, you are you've already seen now in the small committee room where this meeting where this meeting takes place. There's already planning a week in advance for the crush of TV cameras that are going to be in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know you're on, the, you're on the executive of the press gallery. You're kind of involved in that kind of. Those kind of things. I mean, there's going to be a lot of TV cameras in there waiting to see what he has to say. This thing's going to get higher ratings than Judge Judy. It's going to be yeah. great. It's going to be. Um, but, you know, uh, here's another interesting scenario. What if, to tie the by election in here, what if the liberals do manage to pull out a victory in this by election? Let's, wow. let's say they pull it off. We have a deadlock tie in the legislature, and one person can cast a tie breaking vote. Dr. Daryl Plekis, the beleaguered Speaker of the House, in the middle of this rolling mess of a scandal will be the ultimate decider of the legislature uh, on, and uh, casting votes. Now, convention tells us that he's supposed to side with the government and preserve the status quo, and, but I don't think Daryl Plekis is doing anything by convention in this building, and convention is not a written-down, hard-and-fast law. So you could have a speaker who's basically the ultimate decider of the government's legislation here, and what a bizarre scenario that would be for quite a... Well, that would make things even even crazier in this building. So, but again, I don't think that I think more than likely the NDP find a way to hold on to that riding. Fourteen yeah. of the last sixteen elections they've won there. At the end of the day, if speculation tax and some other issues don't resonate with the public in Nanaimo, it becomes a get out the vote exercise. And who better than the party that has the held the riding for so long that has identified their voters that has a very clear. Sure idea of who to get out to the polls and who to target, um, they have a pretty big advantage if that's what it comes down to. I have a feeling next week we'll be talking about Daryl Plekis in the podcast and what he has to say at this meeting coming up on Monday. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's never a dull moment nope. in BC politics, is nope. it? Yeah. Okay. We'll see you next week. We'll do it again next week. Yeah.